Hey everyone, I'm Ben Parker here to tell you that the Stat Sheet Podcast is presented by Boxscore Network. Boxscore Network is your one-stop shop for all things NFL podcasts. You want game analysis, betting lines, hot takes, or fantasy advice? Well, check out Boxscore Network and follow Boxscore Network on Twitter at Bscore Network for updates. Good to see you back, everybody. This is the Stat Sheet Podcast with Ben Parker, Simon Short, and Ronan Summers. We're all three here in Studio A, B, and C, not in that order necessarily. But it is a pleasure to be back on board with you. Had another pretty interesting group of games this weekend. Uh, most of them were good. We had, I think, one game that was pretty ugly. The others were all pretty exciting, much better than what we had in the wild card round. We're going to talk about all those. We're actually going to save them for later in the program. We've got quite a bit of news to get to. The coaching carousel is grinding not necessarily fast but we've had a couple of things pick up here today we can't wait to get into it thank you for being back with us as always as mentioned first bit of news is the titans have hired brian callahan to be their head coach uh, really just breaking a few hours ago so we're going to be one of the podcasts to get first crack at it actually before any of the national ones do tomorrow we're going to break the news first and we're going to tell you how important it is or how good it is Simon, Tennessee is a team that I think you relate to for many reasons, probably a team that you followed quite a bit here. Um, tell me first how you feel about Brian Callahan coming into the BDHC. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hilarious because it's kind of a letdown, but it's also kind of the letdown you expect it. So can it really be a letdown? Uh, one more plug for the, the YouTube channel, Sports and Money KC. I was on with our esteemed host, Ben uh, Parker, just last week or two weeks ago now, where we were coming up with all these machinations for all these coaches and where they could all go. And the Titans was the team we continually had a hard time figuring out what they would, would maybe be looking for. We we knew from the standpoint of, hey, it's going to be about Will Levis, right? Uh, that's part of why Vrabel's out. They want a, a within the building, within a, the executive committee i guess you could say right the gm and the president whoever that all you know uh, ran, ran carthen and and the ownership however that all kind of keeps shaking out um down to the head coach that needs to be aligned and that needs to be aligned in the sense of this person believes in will levis that seemed like it was priority number one um and in doing that you're thinking okay you need to go get an offensive mind head coach there's there's one top of the market offensive-minded guy that's out there interviewing for head coach jobs since Ben Johnson. And we kind of figured that that wasn't going to be the move because he's probably not going to be want to be cornered into a Will Levis. He may wants the commander's job with the second overall pick. He maybe wants um, the, the even the Chargers jobs to, to go get Justin Herbert, the Falcons job with all those skill players. The, the Titans, they're, they're just kind of like, it's not the worst job. It's not the Panthers, right? Um, it, they're not completely strapped from a cap standpoint but it's just like a meh okay so you really have to believe in will levis and will levis win the second round of the draft so not a whole lot of people super duper believe in him right now necessarily i said on that video they're probably gonna end up with the second tier offensive coordinator which is the bobby slowick or the brian callahan and here we are and i think the most surprising thing of it all we were just saying before we hit record 
is this happened this is the third hire that we've had and it's the first external hire that we've had right for this head coach but this wasn't the name we thought would be breaking as the first real domino to fall the real unexpected we weren't sure of it between the team or the coach right so pretty surprising but at the same time not that surprising because it's a team that's just understated right goes about their business and, and it seems like they want to continue to do the same thing brian callahan uh being there under zach taylor for the bengals just like quietly going about business trying to get things done right you can make fun of them sometimes but things are going to work out some of the times too and it's that's kind of the way it is uh, yeah the bloodlines of the afc north and afc central of past and from pittsburgh to down through ohio to tennessee run, runs deep for sure ben so that was a lot of mishmash in there for you but um that's kind of what you get when you talk about the tennessee titans i think yeah, and so you like the hire, or you don't, or you're just oh uh, right yeah, I didn't even middle. answer that question. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. This might be a little okay. bit like I don't even, I can't even. I said before recording, like Shane Steichen, but we knew Steichen was calling the place for Philly so well last year, um, or I guess now two years ago, and, and Callian wasn't doing that right. Zach Taylor calls the place, so I don't really know. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's terrible, right? I, I'm sure there would be, a, but it's not, it's also not exciting. And it feels kind of like, uh, feels like you could have done something, but he's a name that's been around. He he uh, interviewed last year for jobs as well. So uh kind of feels like he was supposed to be in this class of hires. Um, I guess I'm underwhelmed. I'm not, I'm not upset, but I'm underwhelmed. I'm not that excited. Ronan, I'm going to pull you in. Hope you had a great weekend. Welcome in as well, as always. Thumbs up or thumbs down on this, man? Thank you, Ben. Uh, so I, I want to preface this by saying I haven't loved how the Titans have navigated themselves throughout this offseason so far. Um, just cutting ties with Brable was a little bit questionable whenever you could have gotten capital in return for him. Uh, but, Simon, I, I want to help you out here because I might have a comparison. Now, I this might sound a little bit blasphemous, but – it kind of reminds me of the Zach Taylor hire in Cincinnati. It was kind of an underwhelming hire where it was an offensive-minded head coach or an offensive-minded, I guess, new head coach, but coordinator uh, who wasn't calling the plays but was under a good mind. Uh, that, that's kind of what it's giving the vibe of. So that kind of gives me hope. But, Simon, you, you got it. You nailed it right on the head. It's underwhelming. It's not like Callahan was at the top of, you know, anybody's list. So, you know, who do we want to see hired? You know, this guy, this guy, this guy. And then maybe a couple spots down, maybe we get to Callahan. But you know what? He's 39. He's been coaching Joe Burrow, right? He's been the OC since 2019 in Cincinnati. The offense has much improved since uh, he's joined or, um, you know, since that new regime came in. So, I'm I'm hopeful, Ben, but I'm not in love with the hire. See, I'm in the same boat you are. So, Simon, I'm going to let you wrap a bow on this in a minute while I prattle on here. But neither of you are willing to commit to saying this is a good hire, and I'm not either. Because, quite honestly, I don't think anybody knows. You just mentioned it, Ronan. Burrow has been the quarterback here. So how much credit does he get? The offensive line has not developed in spite of the fact that they brought in people to help it out. And yet Burrow still continues to be the guy who manufactures everything. Simon, you mentioned it. He's not even necessarily calling the plays. They've got two all-world wide receivers there. 
So how much credit do you even give him? I don't think anybody knows at this point. So I'm all in favor of seeing a guy get a first shot because you never know how a guy can do until he gets it. So I'm all in favor of that. But how much credit do you give him versus, say, Zach Taylor versus, say, Burrow versus Chase? How far down the list do you go until you give credit to him? That's a fair question that really nobody can answer. We won't know until he gets a shot over here in Tennessee. I'm also not totally sure that I'm thrilled with them continuing to be under the radar. Under the radar hasn't necessarily worked for them in quite a while. I mean, you let go of Rabel. In theory, you would like to think, well, we're going to get somebody hot and new in here. Eh, you know, underwhelming, I think, is a great word for it, Simon. You mentioned it. So I think that's where I'm at as well. You know, come see me a year from now, two years from now, and I'll change my mind. You know, if you're doing great, I will sing your praises from the rooftop. If you're not, I'll question it some more. Simon? Yeah, and, you know, as we're saying all this, they're, like, they're, you you nailed it, Ben, where it's just – we're not going to know. There's no way to know. And, and you know, something that might really help Brian Callahan in terms of not having been the play caller in Cincinnati, right? So he's the Ben Johnson type where it's, or the Sean McVay when he went to the Rams where it's like, oh man, his, his offensive mind, his prowess, right? Maybe he gets an offensive, co- hires an offensive coordinator that calls the plays. And maybe he's just the architect. Maybe he's the leader. Maybe he's you know, taking care of the timeouts and focusing on game management and game adjustments and all this stuff that we see some of these offensive-minded head coaches go and struggle with because now they're trying to do two jobs. They're trying to be the play caller, offensive coordinator, and the head coach. So maybe that is fine, right? Maybe he brings enough of the other stuff that he's just going to be, he's going to align with management, right? He's going to be all in on Will Levis. And maybe that's all it came down to. Maybe the interview was, let's interview 10 people. I didn't fully track, you know, how many guys they they were interviewing and who they had in. But let's, we as ownership and, and general manager front office want to go in the direction of Will Levis. Let's just figure out who sounds like they have the best plan and is the most excited to work with Will Levis. And maybe that was Brian Callahan. Maybe he loved him in college. Maybe he thought he was gonna uh, I mean I don't think he thought he was coming to Cincinnati for anything but maybe he you know worked with him at the combine or senior bowl or something like that I don't even know if Levis went to this anyways so they're they're looking for that alignment first and and that sort of stuff the not you know I I, we, we talk about this all the time on this podcast but like the x's and o's the things that happen on game day that's that's 10% of what it means to be an NFL head coach, right? Monday to Saturday, how you prep, how you train, how you plan, how you communicate with the players, how you organize your coaching staff, how you um, prepare every single week, how you create training plans for players for year over year over year. That stuff is way more of the job that we don't see, right, on our end. As as Ron Rivera said, you know, I've been managing for for four years and coaching for five weeks, by the way, Ron Rivera is interviewing for the Eagles defensive coordinator job. Don't know how you feel about that. Um, I know you told me to wrap a bow on it, and I, I still didn't even really do that nicely. But <laughs> it's just – yeah, it's a bummer, man. I mean I was like, dude, let's get Pete Carroll in here. Let's get him jacked up and chest-bumping with Will Levis on the sidelines. And, you know, let, let's have him unlock Jeffrey Simmons again and, you know, just – there, it, it felt like there was something more to this, but listen, they've been fairly successful from a win standpoint for a number of years in a row. 
maybe it's okay that, you know, they're like, hey, let's slow roll this and see what happens. Because then, you know, we, we talk about all the time, you talk about this a lot, where it's, if that GM and that coach aren't on the same page, if ownership is not on the same page, then whatever cool X's and O's you do on the field, you get yanked after a couple of years anyways, right? So so maybe having this conducive group that wants to work together and is aligned, maybe it provides a five-year runway to really building something out. So we'll just have to wait and see. All right. And other news, the writers have finally hired Antonio Pierce to be the head coach. So listen, I'm going to go ahead and set the table for this one to get you guys reaction. This is something they should have already done. Now, I understand there was a Rooney rule to be worked around and, and you want to kind of put on the front that you're doing your due diligence. Hopefully, I hope that behind the scenes, they were either A, fishing for Mike Tomlin or B, they'd already told Pierce, hey, you're our guy and we're only doing this because we have to. If they did it for any other reason, if they're just fishing in other ponds, then they're a bunch of morons, okay? Pierce had, did a fantastic job as an interim head coach, five and four. He beat good teams. He threw the Chargers under the freaking bus with that, what, 63-point turnout, I think it was, and didn't mind piling on early in the second half in a very Raiders-esque way. So I loved all of that. The players loved him. There was no reason not to hire him other than that you had a guy that was big time that you knew would be perfect for the next 20 years. And if you didn't have that guy and you're just flirting around the room, then the Raiders would get whatever they would deserve if Pierce were gone. So Pierce is in, Pierce is the guy, you know, I like it. Ronan, you first take, how do you feel about it? I love it. Um, I mean, Max Crosby kind of just outright said, Hey, if Pierce isn't my head coach or the head coach next year for the Raiders, I, I want to trade or I want to be traded. Um, so, I mean, that that's a testament, right? Because I'm sure Crosby, he, he's he's liking it in Las Vegas. You know, I'm sure he's got a nice house and uh, he's enjoying the nice restaurants. And uh, he enjoyed playing under Pierce. Uh, like you said, Ben, he led them to some kind of unseemingly wins. Right After McDaniels was let go of, it was kind of a, uh, well, I viewed it as a lost cause. I think as soon as that was done for Simon put all his money on Vegas to uh, go, you know, 500 for the rest of the season at the very minimum. Uh, so I can't say everybody thought they were done for, but, you know, a head coach getting let go of midseason, that, that's tough to bounce back from. But they rallied and they rallied behind young players, which, uh, you know, that, that's something that they can build around. So they've got something there right now. Um, it might not be a championship caliber team, you know, right now or next year, but they're on the way to something. And that's more than a lot of teams can say, Simon. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. I mean, I don't know. We could explore what they're what they're truly on their way to. But, but like you said, I mean, five and four in their last nine that I mean, it's nothing to scoff at with the roster they have. You could argue that. If if they were to go all in this year and try to trade up and go get a, a Jaden Daniels at three or something, that hey maybe they're maybe they're gonna do something right. Um, they're I mean they're not. They have to sort out the quarterback situation because Aiden O'Connell is not not the guy for the long term. But what I love for this is we're gonna get some just like good week after week hard nose. We're playing tough. We're, an, we're a football team that's about being a football team. 
we're going to smack you in the mouth and we're going to smoke cigars in the locker room after the game. And then we're going to go home and like, and, and like, that's it. And that's what our coach is about. And we're going to be about winning. And it's going to be like when Vrabel came to the Titans and, and it was, let's just be physical and let's be fierce and let, and let's, you know, when Dan Campbell went to the line, it's going to be a culture change. And from there, you just hope to put yourself in the best situation from a cap standpoint and a roster standpoint and a draft standpoint after a couple of years that you could say, okay, do we either A, have a quarterback that can take us somewhere in the playoffs or B, are we in a position where we can just drop a quarterback in and we could do something in the playoffs? From a wins and losses standpoint, I still think this team is going to be a couple of years away, but it seems like Devontae Adams and Max Crosby are going to be there to stay, and those are two good building blocks to start with. You, you figure out, you piece, I mean, the defense was very impressive this year for the names that were on the roster, right? We thought it was going to be one of the worst defenses in the league. Even at the start of the year, it wasn't that. It got even better when Pierce became the head coach. They found an identity on offense that worked for them in the second half of the season. What they do with Josh Jacobs uh, coming up on, you know, another year of free agency, basically, another offseason where, you know, they have to make a decision on him. <laughs> That will be interesting, what they do with the offensive line, what they do at quarterback. All those things will be interesting to sort out. But, Ben, I think Antonio Pierce, like you said, it's the right decision to make to get this team on a track, uh, moving in the right direction. A couple more thoughts on that. But, uh, Simon, while I'm doing that, uh, please tell the audience who the current OC is and if you think they stay and, if not, who they should pull in because the offense was dreadful. Dreadful. Everybody remembers the sixty-three points. The offense was dreadful under Pierce, and yet they still kept putting up wins. So uh, the OC part is interesting to me. Ronan, I, I'm going to come back to you in a second while I'm talking. I want you to be thinking about too. Simon mentioned this team could be a couple of years away in terms of wins and losses. Can Antonio Pierce survive that? He's an interim guy. They already weren't totally sure they wanted to give him this job in the first place. It took the players speaking up. So I'll come to you in a second. Can he actually survive a couple of years of hey? less than 500 record. So my thought is this, just because Pierce is the right hire for now, and he was, for all the reasons all three of us have listed, this really is the way to go. Doesn't guarantee that he'll be around two years from now, all right, because the offense still needs a lot of work, and interim coaches often do not have long leashes, and both of those things are true of Pierce. So he's the right guy for now. The attitude is there. The Raiders' attitude is there. The players like him. He won. He brought all of that in. But that doesn't necessarily mean just because you're well-liked in the locker room doesn't mean you keep your job. And just because just because you had a 5-4 and four record to finish off an ugly season doesn't necessarily mean you know how to work a team through an offseason and get them ready to actually take a step forward next offseason or next season. So, you know, for those reasons, it is the right move. Does that necessarily mean it translates into two, year, two or three years from now? We'll see. Ronan, can he survive it if he's got back-to-back seven and tens? Ben, that's the thing. It's easy to, well, it's easy for interim head coaches who turn into the head coach of the team to become scapegoats, right? Because a year later, it can be like, all right, well, we gave him a shot. It didn't work out. We need to go another direction. We like this candidate. Let's go with that. Or, you know, a year or two later, that, that can be a realistic scenario. So, you know, you, you want everybody to succeed, right? You, you don't want to see anybody fail so you know i don't know that, that, that that's tough You're stalling, Ronan. Because i know it i know but ben look at the roster you know they, they overperformed this year 
Well, let's say do. this. Listen, let's say they go eight and nine next year, and then eight and nine the year after. Does he stay, or has he got that short two year leash? I I think he's got that short two year leash, but I don't think he's entirely out of, of a job. You know, I think he's definitely going to stick around the league. Uh, that that's just in Vegas that they've been in turmoil for years now. I don't know if they have the patience that Detroit did for Campbell. Fair enough, Simon. What you got on the OC side of things? It's hard, man, because there's so many staffs that are weirdly broken up. Uh, so, so many head coaches, former head coaches that could be OCs. There's so many OCs that could stay. Like a guy like Thomas Brown in Carolina, like he could end up – he's doing head coaching interviews, but he could end up staying in Carolina as OC or right. as head coach depending on, on what they do. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, the first names that come to mind for me, like – First-time head coach, so you want an experience – or first-time head coach, you want an experienced coordinator. First off, I think – I said first off like three times. I think Patrick Graham stays to be the defensive coordinator. Um, he was the defense coordinator all year for the last couple of years. They've been overachieving. They've been getting better. Um, Pierce worked with him on the defensive side of the ball when he was the linebacker's coach. I think he stays. I think he was solid all year long. The offensive coordinator uh, was, I think, Bo Hardegree to start the year. And then when uh, McDaniels got fired, went to Mick Lombardi, um, I'm sure this is going to change. So then the the first names that kind of came to mind in terms of experience, uh, kind of high name OCs, Eric Bieniemy and Ken Dorsey. Um, but both of those guys are pretty pass happy. And I don't think that's going to fit what Pierce is going to want to do. I think Pierce is going to want run want to run the ball. Um, a guy like Zach Robinson, sorry, Ronan is the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator of the LA Rams. Um, I could see that from a standpoint of like, you know, balance, right? Run the ball. He's been there with McVay for a long time. I'm sure Pierce as a younger head coach is going to be able to, and be willing to reach out to McVay and, and get some insights on maybe how to do something like that. Um, the, the Bengals quarterback coach, we should say, uh, his name is Dan Pitchard. He's getting a lot of OC interviews and he is uh, obviously could be up for the Bengals job if he doesn't want to go elsewhere. The Raiders actually have already interviewed him or or, are scheduled to interview him. I'm sorry um, for their OC position. So that could be interesting. I'm just kind of rummaging through some of these names here. Uh, A guy like Nick Cayley also, also with the Rams um, could be on the board as a guy who's been with the Rams, but also with the Patriots as kind of that, like, old school mentality, a little bit run pass, um, a little bit of balance there. Those are the first so so those are the first couple of names that really come to mind. Um a guy I But like nobody really stands out to you. Nobody okay. nobody oh, you stands out. Nobody stands out. The the one name that I'm waiting to get some uh interviews is Chris O'Hara. Uh I just want to throw my dark horse in here. He's a thirty three year old young uh quarterback coach with the Vikings. He has spent time with uh, under Jay Gruden, who we were talking about before we started recording, um, with with Washington. Then he was in L.A. with the Rams for a year, I think, before he went with Kevin O'Connell to the Vikings. Um, he's got like he's 33, but he has like 10 years of NFL coaching experience. I'm waiting for him to maybe land somewhere, start getting some interviews, but I haven't seen his name anywhere. But um, I would lean right now with Zach Robinson or Nick Cayley from the Rams uh, for Antonio Pierce and the Raiders, although they've already interviewed the the Bengals guy or are supposed to. Okay, fair enough. And you think Raiders fit would be more of a run run balance kind of a guy as opposed to a pass happy kind of a guy? 
and and the Bengals, the Bengals, even though we think about the past game, the thing that's held them back for a couple of years is over-reliance on the run game when it's not working. So not that that's a vote of confidence, but it's uh, it shows a little bit of the experience in a balanced offensive attack. So Dan Pitcher would, would fit there as well. Fair enough. Um, yeah, and by, for those of you who don't know, Simon is pretty much the guy who knows the coordinators the best in this league off of this podcast. So that's why I ask him a question like that, because he tends to know the coordinators uh, more in depth than the rest of us do. Appreciate it, Simon. Ronan, when Mike McCarthy got the news that he was staying in Dallas and we all got it, you felt what? Um, upset, I think, is probably. Actually, no, because I'm not the – I mean, putting bias aside, not the biggest fan of Dallas, so you know, just kind of laughed because it's like <laughs> another year. So kind of like the same the same I felt last year is the answer to your question, Ben. Um, you know, I, they had bright spots this year, right? Obviously, they, they were a good team in the regular season. Um, but the, things fell apart. Um, I... I Thought McCarthy was done for last season. I thought he was done for this season. Um, he's continuing to prove me wrong. So, I mean, kudos to Mike McCarthy. But I, I, I don't know, Ben. What, what do you think? Do you, do you, do you think it's justifiable? Do, do you think that they're just waiting for the the perfect candidate, not named Harbaugh or Belichick, I guess, to come up? Because like that would be the time to do it. Uh, I mean, you've got all sorts of. Uh, head coaches or head coaching candidates up and you're sticking with Mike McCarthy where it's been pretty much mediocrity come the end of the season. Yeah. So let me throw in my two cents and then Simon can drop the hammer on whatever he feels like here with the franchise. When you're looking at Dallas, if you want to tell me that this is a move that makes money, that keeps the brand strong, that keeps the team having winning records, that keeps everybody happy. You sell jerseys, you sell tickets, everything continues. You're in the playoffs. I'm okay with it. I mean, this is the move that does that. It's done it for the last three seasons. Second, I think the guys won 12 games in a row, three, three, 12 games a year, three years in a row, something like that. They've really gotten it. You know, they are an exciting team to watch. There's no question about it. And my respect for McCarthy has actually increased by watching him continue to win without Aaron Rodgers. So I'm okay with all of that. But if you're trying to tell me that you're going to win a Super Bowl this way, then the joke's on you. I mean, that's just laughable. And it's been laughable ever since you let Jimmy Johnson go in the early 90s. Because guess what? I was there to be able to watch all of that happen in the early 90s and root against the Cowboys. I don't even care about the Cowboys anymore. They don't win enough in the playoffs to even matter. Nobody cares. They're just a joke now when it comes playoff time. They are the punchline every single postseason for everybody else in the NFC East, in the NFC, around the NFL. So if you're trying to tell me that this is a Super Bowl move, just like some other moves that they've made over the past few years, then the joke's on Dallas because it's just not. But I'm okay with that if they, you know, if they're okay with what they're doing, I'm okay with what they're doing. Uh, Dallas fans are not. I know that. Jerry Jones seems to be. I honestly think I when he says, I didn't think about who else to hire until we lost yesterday, I believe him. Like, I actually believe that he thought this team had a Super Bowl run in it and that he believed in what they had built. I, I believe that part of it. So, I mean, if, if, if that's his belief system, that's the way he wants to run this team, you know, more power to him. He's not going to get what he ultimately wants, which is another title. Simon? What are the odds on what Mike has on Jerry Jones? Is it is it the tax returns? <laughs> is it a video, audio situation of something? 
Um, I I just gotta I just gotta know, man, because I've gotta get in on that and get a job with the Cowboys. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't see how you can have this many. The, the, this team that's so it's so well put together and so well drafted year over year and you've got the quarterback who's making big quarterback money in the prime of his career playing well and you have the same three exits uh, over the last three seasons and you 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 know Mike McCarthy takes the reins as play caller and and that didn't work out luckily for him Dan Quinn had the pretty bad showing in that game against the Packers. We haven't seen Dan Quinn get fired yet, which is interesting. I wonder if they're just waiting to see if he gets hired away first. And then that way to save face and like help him out a little bit, right? He's not fired. Like hopefully he just gets the job. And then when he doesn't get a job, they fire him and promote somebody. Um, But Mike McCarthy has another guy that he probably blamed, right? When he came out of that meeting with Jerry Jones and he was like, well, you know, we would have been okay if our defense had, had held up, but just fine. Um, don't, don't look at our first down run numbers or anything like that, Jerry. Um, I don't, this is bad, man. And I'm mostly just mad for selfish reasons because we've been trying to figure out who the eighth team was going to be for the eighth head coach spot that would fit a guy like Pete Carroll somewhere. And by the way, like Pete Carroll isn't interviewing for any of these jobs, which is disappointing. So I guess he's destined to be the special advisor to the Seahawks. Um, but yeah, so I'm mostly just mad that we don't have another spot for for somebody that I want to see be a head coach this year. Um, and also, I really wanted to see Dak Prescott get traded to the Dolphins and see him with Mike McDaniel. So I don't get that either. So selfishly, just for myself, I'm very upset. Um, and be prepared for another 12 win first round exit by the Cowboys next year. Can we put money on that right now? Do you think it still has plus odds or do you think it has minus odds right now for that exact scenario just because it's etched in stone? Plus 105. Yeah. I'll, yes. I'll, I'll take it. I'll, let me go throw five on it. I'll be right back. Ben, take it away. Ten four. All right. We've got more coach interviews to talk about, coach openings, coaches let go. We'll do it all right after this break. What's up, everyone? I'm here to tell you about the Simon Short Podcast. Every Thursday, I deep dive topics related to the NFL, pro hoops, pop culture, and more. Be sure to subscribe to the Simon Shore podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Parker. And I'm Robert Zenvire, and we are the Odds on Favorite, presented by Boxcore Network. Every week, we analyze NFL point spreads, over-unders, props, futures, and much more. Follow us on Twitter at Odds on Favorite and listen on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Connor. I'm Billy. And I'm Austin. And we're the host of the Tricky Takes podcast presented by the Box Score Network. We talk about all things sports ranging from golf, baseball, football, NBA, and all college sports. Come give us a listen and make sure you follow us over on Twitter at Tricky Takes. And that's tricky with two eyes. One. Welcome back in, everybody. And as always, we say every week, please check out our other sister podcast. We have more than one, and we cover the NFL from a lot of different angles. So by all means, go check them out. Uh, Bill Belichick apparently has picked up a second interview with the Atlanta Falcons. And Simon, I'm going to start with you. National media seems to be split. Half of them seem to say 
Belichick, Belichick with the Falcons don't see it. They don't have a quarterback. The other half says this is a done deal. Where do you see it, and what do you want to see happen here? I am now officially on board that Bill Belichick is going to be the head coach of the Falcons. Uh, he hasn't interviewed anywhere else, if if I'm not mistaken. I can I can fact check myself on that, but I haven't seen him get any I think other that's right. yeah. do any interviews anywhere else. Um, and now my guy, you know, we could just jump ahead to this real quick. Ryan Nielsen, who is the defense coordinator at the Falcons, who I wanted to stay with the Falcons. He is going to the Jacksonville Jaguar, so I don't have to worry about that aspect anymore. So, yeah, Bill, come on down. Bring your whole staff. Bring the whole Belichick family. Take over Atlanta um, after embarrassing them in the Super Bowl not too, too long ago. Because, yeah, the quarterback situation, sure, there's no one on the board right now. Although, by the way, I bet Bill Belichick is watching Desmond Ritter film like, oh, yeah, I can do I can do that. I can I can make him stop throwing those interceptions. I, I got it. Um Bill O'Brien, by the way, OC of the of Ohio State. So Josh McDaniels has the clear runway to get in there um, and, and take care of that situation. I, I think it's a done deal. I think it's happening. Um, and uh, with the quarterback situation, Ritter or not, the Falcons have the flexibility. They also have what I think they're slated for like the 11th or 12th pick in the draft, something like that. So maybe they can't get a Jaden Daniels if, if quarterback goes one, two, three. But if they like any of these other rookies, they can do that. But I think they're already sitting at like 35 mil in cap space estimated um, going into the year, going into the offseason. So a couple restructures, uh, maybe C Caleb McGarry and Chris Lindstrom, you restructure those deals and you go get a you go get a Kirk Cousins. You go, you know, do something else. Maybe you go, maybe you go trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know. Um, but I, th I think the Falcons team is so well put in. it's that it's what I was talking about the Raiders what they're heading to keep they have everything else ready they just need to drop a quarterback in and they have multiple avenues to do it and I think Belichick relishes that opportunity um he can come in and, and make of it what he wants at quarterback and, and try to get his his wins record so uh I like it I think it's a done deal Ronan I'm looking through here at who all Atlanta has interviewed it's a very long list there are no guarantees, but let's say Belichick is already in the building, basically. Let's assume that just for conversation point. Do you like it? And very quickly, what would make it work? I do, Ben. Um, and you know what? I, I think a, a strong offensive coordinator, I, I think, is the answer to it, which, you know, might might be kind of an easy answer, but it's honestly the, the one because – they have the talent on that offensive, uh, well, everywhere, offensive line, the skill positions. It's really just that quarterback. And, you know, you can maybe go Penix. You could go, uh, I don't know, like a Bo Nix or something. That might be second-round territory, though. You can go, you know, if Caleb Williams goes number one to the Bears, you could see if you can move for Justin Fields. Simon, like you mentioned, you go for like a Kirk Cousins, maybe a Russell Wilson. So I think there are a number of ways that you can go for quarterback uh, that where it would work with that cast. Um, whether it would work all the way to a championship is another conversation. But, you know, Belichick, I think, will have that defense relatively in shape in year one. And then, you know, depending on how long he makes it, right, in year three, we might be looking at a completely different Falcons defense because, I mean, New England's offense wasn't great this year, right? New England's defense was on the field a lot. So 
I, I don't think they were ranked too highly this season, but I mean, last season they they were pretty good, and it's relatively the same players. So I, I think Belichick still got it defensively. Uh, it's just whether or not they can bring someone in to call the plays, get Pitts the ball, get Bijan the ball. I mean, we're looking at a guy in Bijan that, I mean, he was one of the best running back prospects we've seen in the past decade. And then this past year, he had kind of just a, a mellow run-of-the-mill rookie season. Um, and it's not like he lost all that talent. It's still in there. So I, I think getting someone who can unleash all of those guys Drake London is another guy. Sorry to keep rambling, but, I mean, London was a top prospect. I mean, huge, rangy, uh, huge uh, jump ball situations, and we barely see his name, right? He's a he's a guy you pick up in the last round of your fantasy league, and then you know, he scores that one week, and you're like, oh, I could have started him this week, and that's it. So, you know, whether that's McDaniels, whether that's someone, you know, like Simon mentioned earlier, you got to get an OC to make it work better. Ronan, uh, sorry, Simon, real quick um, for you, Simon, regardless of OC, we're not going to go down this OC route here. We get an OC that can work with anybody. Would you rather have a Kirk Cousins, for instance, say at 40 mil, or would you rather them just go ahead and figure out a rookie quarterback, whether they trade up, down, doesn't matter, rookie quarterback or $40 million Kirk Cousins? How healthy are you giving me on that Achilles? Let, let's assume he's got two healthy seasons at a decent level. Let's assume then, that. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm Because if I okay. drop Kirk in right now and drop Bill Belichick in, I think that team could win the NFC. Yeah, fair enough. I, and I think that's the fair route to go. That's what we're hearing a lot of. Of course, the Achilles does back you up a little bit. But, yeah, I think that's a fair route. Okay. Jim Harbaugh, second interview with the Chargers. Um, I don't even know, and I apologize for not knowing if he's interviewed with anybody else. I don't necessarily think he has. But he's got two interviews with the Chargers so far. That's been the job that's been pointed to a lot as the great match right there. So hardball to the Chargers. Simon, how do you feel about it? I feel very good. Um, the only other person, only other team that I had for hardball, really, and actually he has interviewed with only one other team, and it was the Atlanta Falcons. Um, so if this is all set for Bill Billy to to walk in and, and take that job, then I, I think this is going to be, you know, a, a good match for Harbaugh. I think it's the I got to interrupt. I'm sorry. Please you do. Got, you got me excited. I'll let you finish your take. How <laughs> – what are the chances Harbaugh just interviewed for the Atlanta job to let Bill know, hey, I can have any job I want here. You got to wait on me. <laughs> Just, just that little bit of competition. Like, hey, hey, man, you, you, you might have thought you were gonna be the Cinderella, right? You thought you were gonna be the belle of the ball when, when you finally came up to. Nope, it's, it's me, man. I'm here. I'm like sorry, Peter. Up and finish the, finish the Chargers Harbaugh thing. It, it gave me an opportunity to double check. Yeah, Belichick hasn't interviewed anywhere else either. Um, okay. So listen, I, I would love this because the Chargers are one of those teams that just needs that. It's not even a culture reset where they have a bad culture, right? Where it's just like. They're just on. They just have the worst luck, man. It's just weird stuff happens. So Harbaugh's gonna come in, and he's gonna set his culture. And some people might not like it, but you know what? It's gonna be his culture, and, and he usually gets results out of it. And it's gonna be crazy and intense. And you know what? The LA lifestyle might need that a little bit. And I think it's gonna go very, very well with Justin Herbert. I'm very excited for that. Like what I had said about if Belichick had gone there. You're going to kind of – you're going to raise the floor for Herbert, and Herbert himself would be the ceiling raiser with what kind of offense Josh McDaniels would be, bring in and what Bill Belichick would want to do. 
But I think with Harbaugh, and Ben, you could speak to this better, he could really potentially let the reins loose, right? He could he could let Herbert go and like run wild and, and really try and maybe put a little bit of crazy in Herbert, right? Maybe put a little Josh Allen into it. And, and I know we're saying that and JJ McCarthy was, you know, the check down Charlie of the uh, of you know football this year, but um I, I'm into it. I would like to see it. I, I think between Harbaugh, Vrabel, and Belichick, just like somebody that's going to reset and make a winning culture happen in L.A., and Herbert can take you to the next level beyond that, I'm happy with. So I, I think this is a fine move, and it seems like it's the one that's going to happen. What about you, Ronan? How you I've going? spoken. Oh, go ahead, no, Ben. I'm sorry. You go ahead. Okay. Uh, I, I completely agree. Uh, I think he's that S-tier coach right up there with Belichick and this candidate or – these candidates, um, yeah, I, he's won everywhere he's gone, right? I mean, he's worked with some very reputable teams, um, very repu- reputable offenses. Uh, he would bring a lot to the Chargers, right? Uh, the Chargers have been in need of kind of an infusion, right, uh, an extra oomph. And uh, I think Harbaugh would be that exact thing. We've been calling for an offensive mind in – uh, LA for quite some time now, I think. And I think Harbaugh would be that perfect piece, Ben. Agreed. I've spoken ad nauseum about Harbaugh to the Chargers, so I won't do it any further. Ronan, real quick, should anybody else be making a desperate grab for Harbaugh, or should the Chargers be looking anywhere else other than Harbaugh? Either one of those jump uh, out at you. Everyone should be, and he shouldn't. I, I don't think he should go anywhere else except Atlanta. Atlanta would be a fun one because that's a weak division. Um, I mean, would you I, take I, Atlanta I over the Chargers? Could... That that's so tough because they don't have a quarterback. Whenever you have Justin or yeah, Justin Herbert, um, that that is so tough to pass up because he's got a top three talent in this league, top three arm. Uh, so I, I think you got to go with Chargers because he can take you all the way there, you know, year after year, Ben. Yeah, I, I so I'm with you. I think there are other teams who should be going after Harbaugh, but to me, Harbaugh checks all the boxes there with the Chargers, and I think Belichick checks most of them too. But give me Harbaugh for maybe you know longer, longer time period there. All right, uh, Simon, the Eagles let go of Sean Desai, defensive coordinator. They'd already demoted him during the season, right? So not a surprise. Whether his fault or not, fair or not, I, I almost don't even care. We all knew this was coming. So Desai is let go by the Eagles. The Eagles' defense sucked. Obviously, we don't have to go into that. We've hammered them all season for it, the entire second half of the year for it. But who do you think that you would like to see step in here as D.C. for the Eagles? D.C. for the Eagles. I'm going to go to another bird uh, mascot that's still playing in the NFL right now. It's the Baltimore Ravens. Now, this one's a little interesting because, first off, there's Anthony Weaver who has been with the team for, I think, over a decade at this point. He's their assistant head coach, defensive line coach. Really, really well-respected. I haven't really seen his name circulate around trying to be an official defensive coordinator at any point. Um, I'm sure he's done a couple interviews, but he's done two head coach interviews this cycle already so far, but no DC interviews. I still think he'd be interesting, though. I would like to try to bring him in. Um and if you're Howie Roseman in the Eagles and you're thinking you might have a short leash on Sirianni, then Weaver might be a guy that is a potential hand co- head coach type candidate. Um, but if if he's not interested in that, if he's like, hey, I don't want to be a DC, it's either head coach or I just stay here in Baltimore doing what I'm doing. Um, their secondary coach and pass game coordinator, Chris Hewitt, longtime DB coach there. I think he would also be fun. Give, just give me that Ravens defense, man. Just like 
We'll we'll talk about them in the Texans game here at the end of the pod. But what they did to Stroud uh, just a week after what Stroud did to the Browns defense, like my goodness, man. So give me a piece of that. And then the guy I'm going to just continually mention until he gets hired, Wink Martindale. I don't know if he really fits with this team um, the way they're built. They've got the old corners. I don't know if you can really do Wink Martindale things the way they're currently built. Um, but, but he's a name I'm certainly going to be uh, watching for. Um, so yeah, I, I like the two Ravens guys, uh, number one, if I'm looking for a defensive coordinator, that that's who I'm calling. I like both of those. No, I, I think the Ravens will be the better fit to me. Martindale would fit okay with the personnel. I'm just not sure he'd fit with Sirianni and the, the guys upstairs would be the misfit. Right. But like I, I definitely mm-hmm. think he'd be great with the, with the personnel on the field. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 you, you might James Bradbury might not survive the year. You might have to go find a, a, another corner. And look, I mean, first round pick, like you know, the they do the premier positions in the first round always, and this is a good corner class. So maybe you go get you know your next CB one in, in this draft, and you bring in Wink Martindale, and you know you you get back to those pass rushers just flying right. And the linebackers weren't that good this year. Just have them blitz. Just like stop trying to play you know zone defense, and you just just blitz. Just stop. So. Yeah, there there could be something to do that. Yeah, agreed. All right, thank you for that. That's a good work there on the D.C. side of things there in Philly. Um, Ronan, I'm going to hit you up with a team that you've already kind of, uh, you know, I think you affiliate yourself with the Jaguars to some degree, kind of have a feel for what they like to do and what they should have done last offseason. But here they find themselves hiring a new D.C. to try to help themselves out. It's going to be Ryan Nielsen. How do you feel about that one? You know, Ben, uh, the Jaguars' defense has been a little bit of a passion project of mine. Um, it, it hasn't improved really uh, whatsoever, but, you know, they're on their way, I guess. Um, I, I'm not entirely familiar with Nielsen, so I'm sure Simon, who is our coordinator specialist, will have, you know, something much more insightful to say. Um, but I'm glad that they're putting some sort of attention towards their defense, right? They know it wasn't working um, despite their, you know, hot start to the season. Uh, a change needed to be made. And, you know, they're probably about six months behind, uh, maybe not on the firing of the, the the prior defensive coordinator, but just a change in general on that defense. So, you know, hopefully Nielsen can step in there, uh, make some changes, hopefully plead to uh, – Head coach, hey, we need some help over here. Let's maybe think about using that first on the defense, maybe some secondary help. So, Simon, coordinator specialist, what's the report on Nielsen? Likes big dudes, Ronan. He likes he likes <laughs> big dudes. Um, <laughs> just give me just give me some big old honking dudes on the defensive line, and let's go let's go hogwash. I mean, look at the Falcons win. Nielsen came over from the Saints this year. They they went from, I mean, the the young guys were like the Arnold Ibikades and and the D'Angelo Malones, right? You're six you're six three, two hundred forty pound edge rushers. And what do they do? David Onyemata, six five, three hundred pounds. Calais Campbell, six eight, three hundred twenty pounds. Like, just just big dudes. And, and listen, their their defensive line wasn't like you said. It, it's the defensive backs that was the issue. It wasn't really the weak spot. But look at the defensive backs Nielsen has had, right? I mean, AJ Terrell. They go get uh, Jesse Bates last year to play safe. I mean, you wanted Jesse Bates basically for every team last year. That was a great call by you, all pro season. Um, 
And when he was in New Orleans, I love the defensive backs that they've been cycling through New Orleans for the last couple of years. So I think this would be great. It's going to get this Jaguars defense next year, whatever, whoever the players are, it's going to be a physical and just like a big imposing group. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. It'll be interesting to see what it means for young guys like Devin Lloyd and Trayvon Walker and and a veteran like Josh Allen, right? I forget if he's a free agent this year or not, but um, to see, you know, how they kind of reshape that thing because, yeah, man, he he like he likes big boys back there. So we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, great call on Nilsson. By the way, both of you were on the Atlanta track for the defense to be improved, Ronan. I think you mostly because of personnel, Simon, you because of Nilsson. But they definitely did improve this past year more than I thought they would. It greatly aided the Falcons having the kind of season that they they were on track to have before it all fell apart there at the end. So um, I, I definitely think a good hire here uh, for the Jaguars. And good for Nielsen. Simon, you mentioned it earlier, if Belichick's on the way in and it looks like he is, Nielsen's probably not going to stick around anyway. So might as well go ahead and jump on that train while it's there to be had. On other news, the Bears have hired Shane Waldron be the offensive coordinator. So I'm going to go ahead and set the table for us on this one. Yeah, Waldron was the OC for the last couple of years in Seattle. I believe he also came from the Rams tree, the McVay tree at, at one point or another. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. We're not going to get into that conversation tonight. We will be here forever. Um, but it means whoever is going to play quarterback is going to get an opportunity to rip it. And I, I can't, I just can't wait to see it. I don't, Justin Fields, Caleb Williams, Drake May, who like whoever it is, is going to be slinging that ball. Now the the Seahawks under Waldron, they still like to run the ball. We don't know how much that was maybe Pete Carroll influence, but again, Waldron under McVay, he likes to run the ball. So they're still going to be balanced. They're still going to be the Bears and running the ball. Um, but man, they're gonna they're gonna let him throw that ball, whoever it is. And and listen, Cole Komet got paid this last offseason, right? They're gonna use their tight ends. They're gonna find another tight end. Um it's it and it'll be solid and, and Waldron is just like it's kind of back to just like a normal good offensive coordinator I did not like what they've had for the last couple of years under uh Eberflus at that spot so I'm happy that he went outside and got an, a guy who's been an offensive coordinator was just an offensive coordinator like a month ago um for for a team and a quarterback that that were having some successful season so I, I like this hire Ben See, I'm the same as you. I, I like it, too. And, again, there's no guarantees on these guys. I mean, we're all shooting in the dark on some of these people as to how they'll do at their new place. There's no guarantees, but I like it. You mentioned he's got the Rams background, so he's at least had some exposure to some kind of, you know, open-minded, flexible things as opposed to some of these guys who just aren't. <laughs> They've got one way, and that's it. They're wearing the highway, and that wears out them sometimes. And then, you know, to top it off, he's worked with Geno Smith for two years, and Geno Smith has looked good. <laughs> I mean, not everybody's been able to do that. In fact, nobody has been able to do that. So, you know, I don't know how much uh, you know credit Carroll gets versus Waldron, but I almost don't care. So, you know, for Waldron here to be doing this, I, I like him, whether it's Fields at quarterback or whether it's a rookie at quarterback, I like it here. The Bears are trying, and this looks to be a good effort to me. Ron, any more thoughts on here? Ben, uh, precisely. They brought in someone who is going to have a plan – He's going to have an offense that he's going to want uh, you know, his way, right? But it's been proven to be successful. Um, Seattle has not necessarily had the best personnel. I mean, receiver-wise, they've been pretty good, but they've had young uh, offensive linemen and uh, Geno Smith at quarterback who's had a resurgence. So, you know, I, I think the, the personnel in Chicago can be looked at relatively similarly, maybe to – what Waldron walked into in Seattle. So 
there, there's a lot to look forward to if you're Chicago with this hire. All right, uh, Ronan, I'm going to stay with you here because the Carolina Panthers have brought in a new general manager. Technically, I think the title may be what uh, player, you know, head personnel guy. But you know, but no matter what, he's got to make personnel decisions. Tell us who it is, and then toss it on the assignment. Dan Morgan. Um, I, I'm not entirely familiar with the uh, the in-house uh, scenario with, with Carolina. Truthfully, um, honestly, I, I don't have a whole lot to add on the on the situation. Um, but he's going to have to – he's got his work cut out for him. Uh, Carolina is in a very tough spot, Simon. Yeah, I mean, on one end, glad they got the general manager first, right? Um, that means whoever the head coach is, like that's going to – he's going to be part of that hire. There's going to be um, some sort of alignment of values and, and the direction of the team. On the other hand, man – this guy hasn't been doing it for that long. He was, let's see, so he's technically the president of football operations slash general manager. He was the assistant GM since 2021. Well, okay, here here you go. Here you go. Director of player personnel for the Bills from 2018 to 2020. And that was at the height of them adding all these pieces that have made them this Super Bowl contender. We can, we'll, we'll discuss later if we still think they are. But the this contender that they've become, right? Uh, that was the peak of like, Okay, this offseason we're going to work f- figure out our pass catchers. Okay, now this offseason we're going to fill out the rest of the defense. Okay, here we're going to figure out the offense. So he has experience in different places. He was with Seattle from 2011 to 2017 or 2010 to 2017 um, as a scouting intern, uh, assistant director of personnel, director of person. So he has some good experience, but I don't love what this means for the vibes of the job that they just had to take the internal guy that listen, there, there weren't a lot of GM candidates uh, that, that I really knew by name. It was Adam Peters uh, who who's with the commanders. Now the former 49ers number two, and then the bears number two is the other like hot name um, that whose name I don't even know truthfully, but Dan Morgan isn't what wasn't the guy who was really out there. So this kind of felt like, Tepper wasn't comfortable or didn't like or didn't think he could control an external person. Maybe he didn't think he could take a, a head coach that wanted um some some power, right? He wanted to still be the guy wearing wearing the biggest pair of pants. Um so the internal hire has nothing to do with Dan Morgan cuz like I said, better experience than I thought even coming in this podcast. Um but just uh, going internal makes me a little nervous, Ben. What what, what say you? Simon, I like it. I'm okay with it. But I'm going to end up in the same place you just came off of, okay? So, first of all, Dan Morgan, he's, he's got the background in terms of, hey, he used to be a player, so he knows the game. Specifically, he used to be a player for the Carolina Panthers, and the fans loved him. You talk about talk about a guy who's kind of Dan Campbell-ish, um, you know, just heart and soul, eat him up, fire and, you know, fire and grits kind of a guy. This is the guy, you know? And, and, and you see how quickly he rose to the ranks. Immediately in 09, he quit playing. By 10, he was a scouting intern yep. for the Seahawks, and immediately he shoots up quickly to assistant director of pro personnel, then he's director of pro personnel, then he's an AGM. So he's moving up quickly. It's obvious he's got a feel for this. I'm okay with all of that. But I'm not okay with this being an in-house hire when this has been a dumpster fire for the Carolina Panthers. And, Simon, I think you hit the nail on the head with this in that they probably couldn't get anybody else that they really wanted. 
my short list, I had a 10 or 12 name list for general managers. He wasn't on it. When you start to Google names of, say, top 30, 40, 50 GM candidates, he's not on there. This is not a guy that was heavy on anybody's radar. Now, it's not to say that people weren't considering him. But this is not one of the top names around the NFL of people that we thought would get a general manager job anytime necessarily over the next couple of seasons. And certainly when you look at the work there in Carolina, you're a little underwhelmed to say the least, right? So to you know to do an in-house hire, they either thought they couldn't get anybody better or it's one of those Jerry Jones type situations where you would just want to be able to control somebody, right? So, you know, for all of those reasons, Carolina's got a long way to go here. Now, again, we're shooting in the dark. He's never been a GM before. We won't know until he gets two or three seasons under his belt if he can handle it. Could it be the next, you know, Lynch, John Lynch for the 49ers, you know, stepping as GM? We won't know until he gets a chance. So I'm okay with it. I'm comfortable with it. I think he'll be okay. But I also don't think Carolina could get anybody better. Adam Peters wasn't coming here, that's for sure. You know, most of the other top GM candidates were not coming here to Carolina. Nobody wants to work here. Nobody who has a choice wants to work here. So we'll see. You know, hopefully, you know, advice to Tepper, give the guy at least three seasons, if not four or five. Don't run him out of the building in a year and a half, you know. Step it up, Tepper. That's my advice. All right, let's move on. Um, that's all our news. I've got one question I wanted to hit before we jump into the games really quick. So, I, how many head coaching spots do we have left if Harbaugh goes to the Chargers and if Belichick goes to the Falcons? Is it three? Because the Commanders are still open, the Panthers are still open, and is that it? Seattle. Seattle's still open. That's three. Is there a fourth? Hang on, hang on. Charger. So Chargers were saying Harbaugh, Raiders is under, Titans is done. Uh, yep. Yeah, Seahawks, Commanders, Panthers, and then yeah, if you're if we're assuming Belichick to the Falcons, yeah, we just have the three. So that's three. My question is this: So if you're Ben Johnson and you're Mike McDonald, you are two of the hottest names on the coaching carousel list. And I, I get the obvious, so we don't need to state it. They're busy trying to win a Super Bowl, so they're not. It's not at the forefront of their minds. I got that part, but we know how quickly your name turns from hot to cold. We've watched it over the past few seasons. We're watching guys right now struggle to get interviews who were red hot two years ago. And for whatever reason, they didn't get their shot. So if you're Mike McDonald or if you're um, if you're Ben Johnson, you're sitting here watching some of the best jobs get chewed up. You still have the commanders. You still have Seattle. But we're continuing to hear Dan Quinn for Seattle. So that leaves the Panthers and the commanders. How, how worried are you? Not worried. But how much does it bother you that, darn it, my winning is actually getting in the way of me having a shot at some of these jobs because the list narrows. And if next year we're not so good, now I'm not so hot anymore because we've seen it happen. We all say that can't happen. We've seen it happen several times to top candidates over the years. So, Ronan, I'll give you first shot at it. You know, Ben, Bill Belichick goes to Atlanta. Harbaugh goes to the Chargers. Um, you'd have to hope that Ben Johnson goes to Seattle, truthfully. Um you know, if he goes to Washington or Carolina, it's definitely going to be a project. And, um, you know, Washington at least showed some patience, right, with Ron Rivera, maybe a little bit too much. Um, it's some but, other things going on. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, he was also playing GM or basically the GM as well. So, I mean, BNME was calling the offense, I, I, I assume. 
Um, so, but to answer your question, Ben, if it comes down to Washington or Carolina, I truly hope Ben Johnson chooses Detroit. Simon, what say you? Uh, listen, I love the Washington job for Ben Johnson. I mean, there there's work to be done, but he gets a, a rookie quarterback for a team that has new ownership and new management and is aggressive in, in going after right the top the top stuff that they want. I think I think it's a perfect fit for him there. It continues my UNC uh agenda uh in Washington. So I I love it. I've I've done all that. Um to Ben's point, Ben, I'm so glad you asked this question because earlier today I was thinking about making this a PSA, a public Simon announcement, and then by the end of the day, I couldn't remember what I was gonna what I was gonna do that on, so I couldn't. I hate that we have coaching interviews happening right now. It's the worst thing right. about this stuff. I mean, you have some guys doing virtual interviews, you have some guys doing in person interviews, you have some guys that can interview nine times a day, you have guys that are like actively working on their defensive game plans but also trying to prep for an interview like thinking about another team um and then you get into the whole thing like what you were saying about antonio pierce and the raiders for two weeks where it's like because we don't know we're like well what are the raiders doing right what can they do who are they talking to who who's even in it and we just like it's so it's so bad i so i i wish that there was a no tampering period until after the super bowl and then it was just a free-for-all um because yeah like it's a total it's a total complete disadvantage like it it feels like a college coach who like takes a job during bowl bowl season right and just like up and leaves like before the bowl game or some of them are like uh, oh i'll stick around and i'll be at the game but i just won't call the plays that i was calling or i won't you know uh, i'll be at the game at doing timeouts and stuff but i won't be involved in gameplay i that's so stupid that's the like because what what have we had a situation before where a, a coordinator i'm sure we have but a coordinator we we know they've accepted the job for a different team but they're still actively coaching for one like are we gonna have that here like i don't nobody wants that so all in all i hate it i to to your to your point um i i hate that we have this i wish it was if the super bowl is what is it this year february 12th or 16th or 14th whatever it is um the day after we can start interviewing go go crazy and don't schedule your interview during your team's parade day if you win the super bowl yeah agreed i actually love it totally agree what what's going to happen though is someone's going to get left out probably probably mcdonald or johnson isn't going to get a hc job during this particular run here because if they do then that means quinn got left out of seattle or it means uh, Bobby Slowick didn't get his shot this this turnaround. So someone is getting left out. We'll see. It is fun to think about though. So and by the way, I agree with you. I like the uh, I like the no tampering period until all the games are over. Um, you go hire your GM if you want to. I'm yep. just go ahead and get that done. That's not nobody's waiting on that. They're just sitting but, in the suite. You know. They're just hanging out during games. Yeah, right. whatever. Right. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to some games. The oh, Chiefs yeah. beat the Bills. 27 to 24. The Bills, if you're a fan, I think we're all sick for the Bills. I know I am. Mahomes is awesome. Simon, tell me something I don't know about this game. Gosh, Ben, that's so hard. You're just so smart and well read and know so much football. That's gonna be that's gonna be hard to do. <laughs> uh listen, this this game was awesome, man. This game was so cool. Um, here's some here's some you might might not know. 
There have been 18 games or 18 teams this season that have rushed for 180 yards or more and had no turnovers. Uh, that's happened 18 times. The teams that have done that are 13 and five. One of those five teams that have lost were the Buffalo Bills this weekend. Uh, incredible game. I mean, my goodness, you watch that game from start to finish, and I wasn't even taking notes anymore. I was even the second time. I was, I was just having a ball, man. It was a, it was a classic game. Um, I love that both teams were running the crap out of the ball. Like, uh, I don't know if it's good on us or bad on us that we have been telling the Bills to run more all all year, and they had 182 yards and they they lost the game. Maybe maybe we don't know ball, um, but. Just a fun game, man. And, and yeah, crushing for the Bills. I had to search very hard to find stuff that they did wrong other than miss a field goal in windy conditions, right? I found a couple things. We'll get into it. Um, but initial reaction was just like, this was just such a great game. And, and I'm glad both teams showed up. It wasn't a three-interception Josh Allen game. It wasn't a game that was marred by what the officials did for Patrick Mahomes, yada, yada. This was a great football game. Ronan, how'd you feel about this one? Simon, you're exactly right. It's another Allen Mahomes classic down to the wire. Uh, one of them that they play on NFL Network like the Friday before the Mahomes-Allen matchup on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Right, you, you know the one. Yeah. Um, but man, yeah, just, just another tough loss for Buffalo. Um, I think... Last year, it kind of felt like it was Buffalo's year, so I think that loss definitely stung more, um, right? Just getting booted out of the playoffs. Um, it, it's always going to hurt, especially at home, so may, maybe that makes it worse, but I, I don't know. Just Bass, wide right, absolute heartbreaker. Um, Mahomes comes out on top again, yet another AFC championship, Ben. Yeah, listen, I can't say it enough. I am absolutely sick if I'm a Bills fan, Bills player, Bills anybody. I'm sick for the Bills. Listen, I my two things, I, I love the Bills' offensive game plan. It's the one they need to stick to, run the darn football so you take pressure off Josh Allen. The only thing that was missing was that they didn't finish it off, and, and that was the first thing. They had the chance. You know, Diggs not catching that pass. That was it. You know, I mean, that caps it off right there. You know, Allen made the play. Diggs didn't catch it. And the other thing that was missing, really, to be fair, is that the Bills' defense, banged up as it was, couldn't stop a highly pedestrian Chiefs offense. I mean, really, the Chiefs should have been sitting at 34 points this game. They should have closed this game out. They fumbled on the goal line, of course. So those are the two things. I, I love that game plan of run the football. We've seen them do it repeatedly over the past, what, eight, nine weeks since they switched out OCs. I really like that. I think that's the recipe moving forward. And yet they didn't finish it off, and you have to finish. And they didn't, and they haven't. This is four years in a row that they haven't. The Chiefs have run them out of town three times now. So they haven't finished it off, and it just makes you absolutely sick. Simon, give us some more game notes, man. Yeah, so Tony Romo mentioned during the broadcast, and the Tony Romo hate on Twitter is is, is very funny. Uh, I, I quite enjoy it. I'm not I'm not quite there uh, in terms of my hate, but it's it's very fun. Um, he mentioned during the game that the Chiefs are, I think, the second-best team at presenting preventing explosive plays on defense. And for as well as Josh Allen played, I mean, you could just look at the simple numbers. Josh Allen, 4.8 yards per completion. Mahomes, 9.3. I mean, you talk about in such a close game where both teams seem to be playing so well, both quarterbacks are playing so well. What was the difference? And Allen was very good at like methodically taking them downfield and then running for his 71 yards or whatever it was. Like 
not what you would expect, right? And Mahomes, it's funny, the Chiefs, we, we've talked about this is almost the third iteration of how this team's going to try to win a Super Bowl, right? The first one was, okay, yeah. the deep ball, right? Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey when he was a little younger, being a little more of a deep threat. And then last year or two years ago and whatever it was, was uh, last year. Okay, possession receivers, right? Juju Smith-Schuster, the occasional MVS deep shot. Okay, multiple tight ends, right? So possession now. Patrick Mahomes is working through his progressions, all this stuff. And this year it was like run game defense, right? And those two things showed up in this game. But, man, we were getting some explosive plays again. And how about MVS with two huge catches? I think both over 30 yards, right? Travis Kelsey had a, had a deep one. Um there was some there were some big plays happening in this one for the Chiefs again. So that was the difference. The Bills, for as much as as efficient as they were being, they never really got that explosive. You mentioned that Stephon Diggs sixty yard bomb, which was just I laughed out loud when he threw that thing, man, because it was just it was so beautiful. It just made me so full of joy. How about the third down on the drive before that to Sherf was it Sherfield yeah. right? And and it wasn't wasn't quite as accurate because Allen had to throw away from some guys, so it was a tougher catch than uh, for Sherfield than it would have been for Diggs. But he almost nailed that too, and that was another sixty yard. If you hit those, man, uh, you probably win the game. And, and four point eight yards turns into six point five, let's say, and it's a little bit closer. Um, but the Chiefs really put a lid on things in the second half. Josh Allen in the first half was fourteen of eighteen for one hundred and eighteen yards passing. Second half, twelve of twenty one for sixty eight yards. So very much got into um i'm trying to i i'm tr i'm still trying to throw the ball more more pass attempts in the second half than the first half but half the yardage is man like, like i didn't calculate what his running was in the second half versus first half but their offense was generated by his legs in the second half and and we've said like that's not where this team is going to win so it wasn't on josh allen for running when he should have done other things. He was trying to do everything else. They were trying to run the ball with the backs. You know, uh, James Cook had a good first half. Ty Johnson had a good second half. Um, they just weren't getting enough of it. So Allen almost pulled this out for them, man. He, he was brilliant. Uh, it just didn't it didn't happen for them in this one, Ben. Yeah, Simon, you're hitting on something very good there, and that is not only did the Chiefs' defense dominate, <laughs> they were fantastic in the second mm -hmm. half. They really were. Allen's big throws would have changed that. We wouldn't be talking about Chiefs' defensive dominance, but they were choking everything else out. So Allen was having to throw some bombs. He was having to make some runs because they were choking everything else out. But more importantly, the Chiefs have had a third different way to win now. Whether they win the Super Bowl or not is irrelevant to that. They have reincarnated, reincarnated themselves a third different way, and they are the new Patriots. They've got the coach. They've got the quarterback. They've got the cap management, and they are willing to change. And the Patriots did all of that for 20 years. And listen, I think that you know that Reed and Mahomes won't be together for as long as Belichick and Brady were, but they're just as good. You look at the numbers; they're just as good at what they're doing, and they're willing to change. So hats off to Kansas City. Whether they win the Super Bowl or not, maybe they will, but they have continued to develop and change. They've measured. They've managed their cap very well. They just continue to do it. All right, uh, one last note here. Um, I'm seeing a Joe Tooney injury. Simon, you want to update us on that because it will be important for next week. Yeah, Joe Tooney had, had injured his peck in that one. I don't even know if he came out of the game, to be quite honest. I wish we did better at mentioning offensive linemen injuries during during these games. Um, shocker that I that I would say that. Um, 
Mike Tirico, though, and Chris Collinsworth were great at it in Lions Bucks. So thank you to those guys. They're they're consistently good at that. Um, but Joe, I, I think from what I saw, like it's not going to be a thing where he's going to miss the game, but it's obviously going to make an impact on, you know, his, his performance, his ability. Joe Tooney with another, you know, all pro season. Um, that interior of the Chiefs offensive line is certainly the strength for the run game and pass protection. So we'll see how that affects him next week then. That brings us to the Lions and the Buccaneers. The Lions are 31 to 23 winners. I am so happy to watch Detroit do this. It hasn't just been 31 years. It's really been 60 years since they had a team that legit looked this good. Even the even the year they, they won back in the early 90s, that, that was not a serious team. It almost didn't even deserve to be as far as they got. This team is unbelievably happy here. Ronan, I'm going to come to you first. Aiden Hutchinson had an off game with only one sack. He's got like what? I think eight or nine sacks over four games. So he's awesome. We know that. The offensive line's a little banged up, but who the heck cares? They're in the NFC title game. They've got a legit chance. It's just a lot of fun to watch it. Ronan, your emotion? They do have a legit chance, Ben. Um, this is a team that, uh, I mean, they're on a roll right now. They're getting, they are hot whenever it matters most. Um, this game was a little bit too comfortable, or a little bit too uncomfortable, excuse me. Uh, and then the third quarter, right, 17 to 17, going into the fourth, it's like, all right, hold on, right? Like, it's Baker Mayfield versus the Lions. Looks like this was supposed to be the meme game. Why is this one close? Um, but then Detroit kind of pulled away in the end. Then Tampa uh, you closed the gap, but... Uh, immediate thoughts. I, I know jumping straight to the end. What is the deal with not calling the timeout? Is is this controversy like even true? Did Tampa even have a timeout left? Have you guys seen all this uh, that, that's yeah. been going on? Okay, mm-hmm. so I guess whenever Todd Bowles, well, whenever Goff was kneeling it out right at the end of the game, uh, nailed it on I think third and whatever right, to make it fourth and whatever. Tampa had a timeout left, and there was like 30 seconds left. So they could have called the timeout and, you know, forced Detroit to go for the field goal or to punt it away. Uh, and then I think when asked about it, Bull, Todd Bowles, Tampa Bay's head coach, was just like, we we were just going to delay the inevitable had we done that. And it's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Something that it's been floated around uh, in the media. I I don't know how entirely true it is, but since Bulls commented on it, it makes me think that they did have that timeout. Um, But it it could be, you know, a mishap from whoever was airing it. Well, great question, because I just gave my email to Fox News to try and get. read this article about it so we'll see that's not going well so far they're sending me links to get it so i don't feel good about this while while we're while y'all are looking that up Ron, i'm gonna come back to you with another question because obviously i haven't seen it i won't answer intelligently on it simon's gonna look it up for us and you can as well but Ron, i'm gonna come back to you real quick because we'll do a post-mortem here a bit of a post-mortem on baker mayfield his season is done a, if you're the Bucks, do you pay him? And B, do you know if you're somebody else, are you looking to steal Baker away? I I think Tampa is definitely going to consider Baker. Um, 
you know, they're not bringing – it doesn't seem like they're going to be bringing in any new uh, head coaches or anything like that. Uh, coordinators might be TBD. I don't know if uh, – I think their coordinators, or at least maybe their OC might be interviewing somewhere. Uh, but, you, you know, if it were a new regime, I'd say maybe Baker's definitely – or maybe Baker's definitely out. Definitely – he'd probably be out um, had a new regime come in. But since they're sticking around – I don't know. You make the playoffs with him. He had, uh, let's see, bring it up, 28 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. He threw for 4,000 yards. He was seventh in touchdowns, ninth in yards. So, I mean, he he was a statistically pretty much top 10 quarterback this year. I I say you, you go ahead and bring him back. If he's not a liability, right, and you can bring young pieces around him and he's not insanely expensive, uh, I say bring him back. Now, if he's pounding the table asking for too much, let him test free agency. Uh, let him test the waters because I, I don't think anybody's going to hand over him big money. But I, I think if he does, to answer your other question, but if he does leave Tampa Bay, I definitely think teams will bring him in at least to compete uh, with their starter. I'm looking at you, Simon, over there in Pittsburgh. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> thought I wasn't paying attention. I, I heard that. I don't, I don't like that. Last year you tried to give, or two years ago, you tried to give the Steelers Carson Wentz. We got uh, Ben trying to take away Mike Tomlin. What's with you guys? What's this conspiracy going on here? I don't like it. It's a lot more fun. I personally wouldn't be paying Baker. I'm just not going to gamble on him having back-to-back big seasons when he's never really done that for a long period of time. But I do think Tampa Bay probably will. I, I figure that's the way they go. I figure they give him the money. I figure, if they, especially if they can keep Canales there as the OC, Bull stays as the, as the head coach, I figure they all run it back. I, I figure they probably figure that's the safest way to keep their jobs. Simon, you got anything else here on the Lions game or on the controversy at the end? Well, it's funny because I, I had written in my notes about for Bowles when they got their touchdown to give them 23 points. We've talked about how he's this traditional defensive-minded coach, right, ignoring analytics. Those guys would have just kicked the field goal, go down seven, and be like, okay, well, now on the next possession I have, I can either get seven for the tie or eight for the win. He went for two, which is like what analytics say to do because it's like then it's either you win by going for two and then you all you have to do is kick a field goal or you go for two both times and it's a 50-50 shot, so you at least tie it that. So I was going to say good on him for managing the thing, but Ronan, you're right, man. Bulls screwed this thing up. The, the Lions need the ball with like – 34 seconds left on third down and would have had to kick like a 48-yard field goal or something like that with this replacement kicker that they've only had for a few weeks. Um, and like, by the way, you can you could block the kick. Like you could do a whole bunch. Yikes. There's a Jared Goff for you. Um, and there's a, there's a Todd Bowles for you. So, wow. Uh, they really bookended this game because the, both – both quarterbacks and both teams started out shaky each of their first drives. I mean, Goff almost threw that interception down there in the red zone. Um, he almost uh, there was a there was a bad sack he almost took uh, in there as well. He looked flustered by the pressure early on. Um, the lines were sending the pressure at Baker all game. The the nickel blitzes uh, were really getting to the Bucks and their offensive line. They they were having some miscommunication issues. Um, so yeah, there was some weird stuff to start the game. But overall, this game was also a good one, man, because both both quarterbacks, both teams kind of settled in midway through the first quarter. We got like 
some really good offense for the second quarter, really good defense for the third quarter. And then like runs at like end of the third quarter on, we got some like really fun stuff on offense from, from both teams. Um, truthfully. And I didn't love the game plan by the bucks, right? Every time they attacked downfield for Mike Evans, it worked out. Uh, but unfortunately they only did that like four times the whole game. They didn't really pressure that matchup at all where they had the clear advantage. Um, but that's that's the Bucks DNA, right? The couple times we've talked about them this year, they're on that spectrum with like the Steelers and the Broncos this year, and and where it's okay, we're just gonna like play our game, we're gonna run our script, we're gonna take care of the ball, we're gonna punt when we need to, we're gonna just not turn the ball over, we're gonna count on our defense to turn the ball over, and that's been their ML all year, and they didn't want to put the ball in Baker's hands that much, and. Maybe that says something to what you guys were talking about with like what's the ceiling on a Baker contract. If they didn't want to put because if they didn't want to put it in his hands in a playoff game, like when do you want to do it? Um, so that was tough because it was a good game and and he played well. And if they you know figure out that offense, um, you know on a consistency basis and maybe push it a little bit more, it could be pretty good. But a fun game, a couple blunders uh, to start and end the game. Um, but hey, there, there's your meme, Ronan. That's what you were looking for. Now I need to unsubscribe from Fox News, so I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, and again, my my overwhelming emotion, I think, for Detroit is what I think everybody has for Detroit is these fan bases that have suffered for so long. Unless it's just a fan base that you hate, and Detroit isn't. You just, I really enjoy watching them win. I I hope they make it all the way to the Super Bowl. I mean, getting to watch these guys is fun. Campbell is fun. Hutchinson is fun. Goff is fun. Ben Johnson is fun. Amon Ross St. Brown is fun. It's a fun team to watch. The young guys they've got on the team, it's fun to watch. So, you know, you never know when these carpet rides are going to come screaming to a halt. You just never know. But uh, it's, it's fun to watch this for Detroit. Unfortunately, they've got some injuries, and it's really in one of their strengths. So, Simon, tell us what it is and how serious it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and first, Ben, to your point of like this team and how fun it is, like Derek Barnes, who gets that game winning interception, he got burned by Kate on like three plays in a row two just two drives before that. So, it was, it, you know, just epitomizes what you're talking about there. A um, couple injuries on the offensive line, center Frank Ragnow, all pro um, sprained his knee and his ankle on one play in that game. That was a bummer, but he is going to play. He came back into the game. Left guard Jonah Jackson went out with a knee they're just calling. There's no official word yet, but he tweaked his knee, and they pretty much already ruled him out for the championship game next week. I don't even remember the name of their backup left guard who came in and played, but uh, it wasn't as good as Jonah Jackson. But didn't uh, you know completely fold under the pressure against? Although you know Vita Vea was having his way in the middle of that line, but they're not going to have to play a Vita Vea next week in the middle. Um, and then Brock Wright, they're they're I guess he's their number two tight end now. Um, I think he got hurt in this one, but on the flip side of that, respect and mad props to Zach Ertz. Wait until final four teams were in play and then picking a team to go to. Um, he signs with the Lions. He's, I think, signing with their practice squad officially, and then they can just elevate him um, for, for each of these next two games. Um, so, yeah, man, we'll see. Uh, it's not a great year for, like, the veteran signing at random times. Um you know, Dal- Dalvin Cook had a couple of nice runs for the Ravens, but like Leonard Fournette's not playing. Um, who are a bunch of other guys? That- Frank Clark, when he went to the Seahawks, we talked about like these vets that joined these teams, and we're like, maybe they'll carve out a role. It hasn't really happened, but who knows? Er- Ertz might get a-, a catch in a Super Bowl. That'd be pretty fun. 
Moving on, the 49ers beat the Packers 24-21. to Ronan, I'm going to come to you first, but let me lay it out. Jordan Love was fantastic until he wasn't. The 49ers were lucky to win this game. The Packers controlled large portions of it, still managed to find a way to lose. This was my favorite game of the weekend by far. This was the game I felt the most energy and the most tenseness, almost as if I were watching. The, you know, it reminded me of the Super Bowls, really, between the, the Patriots and the Giants, just how tense and electric it felt. The back and forth involved here, um, the fact that, that an upset was sitting here in the making, you really had two good teams fairly evenly matched, it felt like, as they played this game. The big plays were there. The grinded, pounded plays were there. This game seemed to have everything. Roland, what you got on this one? Ben, I think my biggest takeaway from this game is uh, that, that if you're a Packers fan, there's a lot to look forward to, right? Because you, you said it, Ben. This game was pretty evenly matched and if you look at the rosters on paper you wouldn't necessarily think that that would be so um Jordan Love looked very good like you said until he didn't uh that late pick kind of sealed the deal um but man I mean this is obviously what the youngest team in the league I think that's what they they keep saying they're a young team and, uh, you know, big day from Dobbs, four receptions, 83 yards. Big day from Reed, the rookie, four receptions, 35 yards. It might not be the biggest of days. Uh, Aaron Jones ran the ball well. He's not necessarily – he's getting up there in age. He might be out the door relatively soon. Um, this is – there's a lot to look around in Green Bay and to be excited about. Now, on the flip side – this is the powerhouse 49ers. Um, they'll smack you around. They will contend with you in these close games. They don't, you know, they're not necessarily notorious to fold them under pressure. So uh, great game, like you said. Um, but San Francisco still trucking. Green Bay, a lot to be excited about, Simon. Yeah, absolutely. And, and their youth showed in this. It kind of went back to what happened we had we had the full microcosm of the season for them, right? We had the highest of highs that we've seen in the second half of the year with their touchdown drives and their um like weathering the literal storm that was happening and just electric plays by Jordan Love and all this stuff. But we also saw a bunch of mistakes in this one from the Packers that that kind of brought us back down to earth and reminded us of okay, this team this team is very, very just like almost hilariously young um, because this was not a good game by the 49ers. Brock Purdy was bad in this one. I thought Shanahan and not necessarily the play calls, but like the clock management and what he was doing in this game was bad. The defense struggled in this one. And this came down to a young Packers team making mistakes over and over again against a veteran contender on the road. So, I mean, here I have like six of them listed here. Um, the first three drives of the game, the Packers got into the red zone twice and they score three points. And then they dropped an interception on defense. That might have been a pick six. So you're talking about in the first three, over the course of the first three possessions, it could be a 14-0 lead, right? And and that doesn't happen. The next two drives from there, the 49ers nickel and dime their way down the field. You know, they're, they, they've got two plays over 10 yards, right? So they're possessing the ball, but like they're not doing really much of anything. But then, boom, you, you go man-to-man -man at the wrong time with Darnell Savage on George Kittle and you get a 30-yard explosive touchdown on you. Um, 
And then, by the way, you get back in the red zone and you have to kick another field goal. So you're in five possessions. The Niners really haven't done anything on offense. And you've moved the ball into the red zone three times and you're down six to seven after the first five possessions. After that, you've got the 49ers like their bizarre end of first half try to score, but not try try to score, which results in block field goal, right? So you you get saved from seven or three points based on that. Um the first Jordan Love interception, it wasn't a great throw, but Kraft can't tip that ball up in the air like that. That's something he'll learn as time goes. So they end up spoiling good field possession. Um that they had on that drive uh, with a one-touchdown lead, right? So they had good field position. They were in position to go take a two-score lead, and they, you know, tight end, rookie tight end, tips the ball up into the air, gets intercepted. Um, nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter with a four-point lead. The Packers get a 50-plus yard run um, and a San Francisco penalty right after that on the next play, and then they miss a 20-some yard field goal, right, whatever it was for by Daniel Carlson. And then finally, you get that over-aggressive love interception at the end where literally 59 minutes of good play by Jordan Love. And at, at one minute and seven seconds, he just like loses his mind trying to be aggressive and make a play and get a win when it's like you should have been up by like two scores at least at this point, and this shouldn't have been an issue. Um, this was just young guys being young guys, and and you know they're I think they're going to learn from this. And like you said, Ron, you, you should be very excited going into next year, but you should also kind of be like – Dang man, we could have been in it this year. Like it could have, it could have happened. Um, but you know, they're 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 young, and, and that's why the future feels bright. But it's also why they lost this game. Ben, quick answer from both of you: no hedging. The chorus of people screaming, and I think probably rightfully, because I've been the slowest. I've been the wait and see guy. But the chorus of people screaming from everywhere that Jordan Love is now a superstar, and the Packers have their third franchise quarterback in a row and that they are now set for the next five to ten years, which I think is probably all true. But, of course, I've been the wait-and-see guy on that. It's so loud that I can't even hear anymore. It is deafening. That's the hot take that is so old now it's not hot at all. But if his agent walks in, I know he's under contract for next year. At least I think he is. I forget. It doesn't matter. His agent walks into your building next week and says, five years, $275 million, or we don't play. Do you pay him or not, Ronan? Uh, uh, this is a, a league where you, you've got to bite the bullet because in a year from now, everybody else is going to be paying or be getting paid just a little bit more. Someone else is going to get that deal and set that market, uh, and make it keep climbing. So you might as well bite the bullet. Cause if you wait a year, if you wait two years, you're probably just going to end up paying more, Ben. Simon. Yes. I'm paying Jordan love. Fair enough. All right. Um, moving on, last game. By, uh, by the way, one quick thing here. Injury to Debo Samuel, Simon, I, did, I think you oh, did yeah. mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, the 49ers were noticeably worse the very second he left the game. That's not new. We've seen that from earlier in the year. Does that bother you at all, combined with Shanahan not looking great and with the 49ers almost really deserving to kind of lose this game? They didn't credit to them. How much does that bother you with a matchup versus the Lions ahead, Simon? And with even after that, let's say they survived the Lions. <laughs> you are now going up against royalty in either Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, one or the other. How much does it bother you? Pretty significantly. I'll say for the Lions game, it 
it might be almost a blessing in disguise because I think the matchup for them to target against the Lions is Ayuk and Kittle deep downfield because the Lions are a good rally and tackle team, a good physical team. Now, Debo is one of the most physical receivers in the league, but uh, his underneath stuff, his jet sweeps, his shallow crossers, that's like that stuff they can handle, I think, pretty well. I think they can keep Debo in check. It's Ayuk and Kittle deep downfield that I'm more worried about. So from a San Francisco point of view, it's not – obviously, you'd rather have Debo, but I don't think it's a killer for this game. Super Bowl, yeah, you need that guy. Um, And also, by the way, if he's already dealing with shoulder stuff all year, maybe don't make him your kick returner to start the game out. Just just an idea. You you signed Ray Ray McLeod for a freaking reason. Don't do that. There's a don't do that, Ben. Haven't had one in a few weeks. There you go. Fair point. And I'll go ahead and say it right now. They have – they have a chance to win this game against Detroit without Debo. I think that's obvious. I think it's going to be a close game. I really do. I think it's going to be a really, really fun NFC championship game. If they have to go play the Ravens defense or the Kansas City defense without Debo, they are toast. They have no chance in that game in the Super Bowl matchup if they get there. All right, last game of the weekend. Um, speaking of magic carpet rides, and again, you never know when these things are going to stop, but it stopped this week for C.J. Stroud and uh, for the Houston Texans as they go down 34-10. to 10. Ravens defense is awesome. We've known it has been, and yet we saw Stroud toast the Browns the week before who had a very good defense but a different style defense. Simon, this is your division here with the Ravens. You're intimately familiar with what they do. Why was it different here? So, gosh, I, I from a from a Texans offense standpoint, they – galaxy brain themselves i mean they they got away from what they do well it was really it was really annoying um all the first down runs were really really fresh in the browns game they started out with a very heavy script of we're just gonna get into play action pass right away right we're, we're gonna we're going at a stout defense right we've talked about how the browns defense just like takes up all the air in the room let's create some room for ourselves by trying to pass the ball on first down and, and get short yardage situations early instead of trying to run against a brick wall and, and in this game against the ravens they just didn't do that i don't know if they thought the like speed of this ravens defense wasn't as intimidating as the heft of the browns defense so they they but from the very beginning it was 50-50 even 45 55 towards running the ball on first down and they were consistently putting themselves in second and long and third and long situations which against this ravens defense you just you can't do right you you can't do the the all the different things the ways they disguise and rotate their defense and fly after the ball versus the browns who are just like line up and play so you can just drop back and and target nico collins over and over again in one-on-one situations um that's not how the ravens play so that that really messed with them. The pressure got to C.J. Stroud for sure. I mean, that Texans offensive line was just getting beat over and over again. Um, so on offense, they just completely – I think they got scared a little. I think they won, They were too conservative. Defensively, um, they also really changed up what they did, and that actually worked for them in the first half. So the Texans on the season are – I think they were 13th in sacks. I think they were like fourth in pressures. But they were like 26th in blitzes, whereas in this game, next-gen stats had them as blitzing on 13 of 18 first-half dropbacks by Lamar, which is like 70-some percent, which is like a bazillion more percentage points than they did during the regular season. 
and it worked. I mean, they got 10 pressures, three sacks on them. They, it was a close game in the first half. Um, and I think that threw the Ravens off of their game plan, right? They're like, oh, we didn't expect this. This team doesn't blitz like Christian Harris was, my goodness, all over the place. Um, but then the Ravens are a good team with a good OC, a good quarterback, something they could not do in the Greg Roman era. They adjusted at halftime, more quick passes, and they evaded the blitz a lot better in the second half. And, you know, they took off. So it was Houston not getting into a rhythm in the passing game early like they did in the Browns game. And, and defensively, for the first half, it worked all the blitzing. But in the second half, when, it, you know, guys start to kind of wear down and you're not doing what you're familiar with and the Ravens have already beat that. And then they also game plan for you not blitzing because that's what you do. Perfect storm. Um, so Texans may be galaxy brain, but maybe also knew we're at a big deficit here. We really got to mix some stuff up. It just it didn't work then. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And you've made several, but that's probably your best set of points on the night here is that Houston was trying some different things. And it's not immediately obvious when you look at box score, when you just watch the game kind of cruising through. It just kind of seems like, well, Baltimore overwhelmed them or, well, the magic carpet ride comes to a close here. But it's a great point here that maybe Houston, to a degree, maybe they're going to lose anyway, right? But 34 to 10, maybe they beat themselves a little bit. So that's a great set of points there on both sides of the football. Ronan, the Ravens are cruising. People have been predicting it for months and months now. Simon even predicted that this offense in the offseason would look better because of who they were bringing in. So they're here now. How are you feeling about them going ahead here with Kansas City? Do you like it? I, I Would you actually pick them here over Kansas City, or is it going to be Mahomes and Reed just doing their, their thing? I do like it, Ben. Are, are you asking me to give a pick, or are you asking yes. me if I think that the Ravens have a shot? We all know the Ravens have a shot here. They're the one, number one seed at home. So, no, I wouldn't ask you that one. <laughs> I, yeah, the the answer is I, I, I think I'm going to roll with Baltimore um, because they're, they can just beat you so many different ways. And yeah, their, defense, uh, their defense can suffocate um, those KC pass catchers. They've had problems this year. And then you flip it over, and uh, they're going to have a rough time trying to contain Lamar. I mean, you look at the game against Houston, he had 11 rushes for 100 yards, two touchdowns. And then on top of that, his passing, I mean, he was accurate. He wasn't necessarily throwing it all over the place. But, I mean, 16 to 22 for 150 yards and two more touchdowns. I mean, he accounted for four touchdowns. Uh, uh, <laughs> he's the real deal. He's probably the MVP. Um, I, I think the Ravens have a real, real shot at winning it. And to answer your question, Ben, I think I'm I'm going to take them. All right, fair enough. Simon, come back to you real quick here. Any more news or notes here on this Ravens and Texans game? Um, I mean, the Texans also a young team. I wrote down 11 uh, penalties for 70 yards. A lot of them were procedural, too. A lot of false starts, delays of game, stuff like that. Um, Baltimore was able to just run it out time of possession in the second half, 20 minutes to nine and a half minutes, basically. So, um, this Baltimore team to spin that into looking ahead a bit and, and on the injury front, I mean, their whole team's just always banged up, but, uh, we'll see if Mark Andrews comes back and plays next week. It, they, they sound pretty hopeful about that. Be interesting to have Andrews and likely out there on the field at the same time, a bunch uh, that that would be interesting to see. Um, it's going to, 
this offense against the Steve Spagnolo Chiefs red hot defense is going to be a blast. And I just I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm not giving a pick unless you make me give a pick. Um, but I'm very excited. Yeah, we okay. did it before the divisional round. We all we did it before wildcard, and then we forgot to do it last week. So I don't, I don't know. I want a different pick. This is going to be a fun one. Before I get your one final thing from around the NFL for the week, the pick I want is out of the eight teams that we had left going into the weekend. Right, the eight teams: Texans and Ravens, Packers and 49ers, Buccaneers and Lions, Chiefs and Bills. What two teams are going to be in the Super Bowl next year? So obviously the fun one would be, hey, Texans and Packers, right? Because you get the two young Stowarts and Stroud and Love and, and all the young things going on there. It would just be fun, right? But there's still some heavy hitters hiding in here, and they ain't going anywhere. I don't think Buffalo is going to fall off the map here, whether they do some unthinkable things or not. They're not going anywhere. Ravens aren't going anywhere. Chiefs aren't going anywhere. I mean, Chiefs might even get better during the offseason, depending on what they do. We'll see, you know. We'll see, right, depending on what all they do. 49ers are still going to be stout next year. Um, so just for fun, we won't even remember we said this a year from now, but just for fun, Simon, you first. Who's going to be the Super Bowl next year if you had to pick from these eight? Packers-Chiefs. Packers-Chiefs. I think I think the Texans are going to be one more year away. I think this Packers offense is going to be top five next year. All right, fair enough. We heard it here first. Simon was said the that about early, the early, going into this early. Year. It didn't work out. Yeah, that's all right. You were right on enough other things. Um, <laughs> Roland. Gosh. All right. Uh, I'm going to go between these teams. I'm going to go with the boring answer. I'm going to go Chiefs 49ers. Ooh. All right. Yeah, that, that would be a fun one as well. And that's always the interesting thing, right? you got established teams, some of them paying a lot of money at the quarterback spot, and then we've got some very young teams that are up and coming, but how far up and coming can they get? And that's the thing here. So I think for my part, I think I'll throw – I think the Ravens are in the Super Bowl this year, so let me pick the Chiefs in for next year on the AFC side. And then on the NFC side, I mean, why not Green Bay? Uh, if they could get this far this year with a young team, if Love can do – and he doesn't have to be a spectacular – and I don't even expect him to be. Nobody can be. He, there, Nobody can be a spectacular for a whole season as Love was for the past eight or nine weeks, right? That's a statistical anomaly, but it doesn't have to be. If he's anywhere near, let's say, 89% of that and the rest of the team improves, then why not the Packers? I think the NFC could be wide open as we – at least as we enter the offseason um, for that as well. All right, Ronan, your one final thing around the NFL. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, it's a little nugget of information, but just one that I found, uh, Eric Bieniemy interviewed for the Washington head coach open candidacy. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Bieniemy is a guy who he came into Washington, say what you will about, you know, the whole situation, but the offense improved. So, um, if he doesn't stick around in Washington, uh, one place that I don't know, just off the top of my head as we were sitting here, could you imagine Belichick going to Atlanta and then Bienemy coming in there and being OC for whatever they bring in at quarterback? That would just be that would be something. Uh, but Simon, uh, I'm very excited to hear your last thing from around the NFL. I want to just remind everybody. That wins are not a QB stat. The amount of people that got on Twitter between what day was that? Saturday night to, to Monday morning here 
and we got the Brock Purdy is him and all this stuff. And they, you know, throw the stats up of the last drive. Brother, you got to watch the first three and a half quarters of that game, man. And look, it was raining and this isn't, I, I've said, I've defended myself against straw men polls a million times on this. I'm not saying Brock Purdy's terrible, but you just got to watch everything else. You, I mean, there's so much other stuff to take in about this whole thing and just like, Wins or not, wins or not. You know, to to half make fun of Robertson Vire, but not fully make fun of Robertson Vire. Uh, Ben's esteemed colleague of, of Odds on Favor who's been on this podcast. He asked me today if if the Lions make the Super Bowl, or actually I think he framed it as if Jared Goff makes the Super Bowl, do I feel differently about Jared Goff, who I traditionally have not been very high on? And the answer was no. The answer was no. It, just because the Lions make the Super if Jared Goff plays well, which he has been playing well. I, I think the number of Jared Goffey plays has been diminished um, per on a per-game basis uh, th this season. Um, then, yeah, that'll make me feel different. But if they get there with him throwing picks and bad plays and the running the ball and, and you know, all that stuff, then, no, I'm not going to feel different. So wins are not a QB stat. Make sure you watch the game. Um, that is all I have. All right, my final thing around the NFL, and y'all know I like to throw penalty flags. I'm not throwing a flag this week. I am giving a sideline warning, a warning. Three weeks ahead of time to whoever wins the Super Bowl, for whatever reason over the past three or four years, it has become hot and trendy for somebody after winning to give a great big F you with their middle finger to all the people who doubted them. And I don't understand why this has caught on. So whoever you are, you know who you are, Mr. Everybody doubted us. Nobody picked us. Nobody thought we could do it, guy. Hiding on whatever team actually ends up winning the Super Bowl. And you're going to get a camera in your face after the game and say, nobody thought we could do it when actually many of your fans and some of the betters actually didn't pick you to do it, and even some people before the season. So, listen, tell us you're going to Disney World like everybody used to. Thank your parents. Give thanks to God. I don't care. Give credit to your teammates. Give credit to your coach. Tell us again how hard you all worked, as if you didn't work just as hard this season, which you didn't go to the Super Bowl. I don't care what you do, but quit telling us that we all doubted you. What are we supposed to do? Give an equal chance as analysts to everybody who plays as if this is YMCA ball at the five-year-old level? I'm sorry we hurt your feelings that we didn't pick you. It's fine if you want to use that in the locker room. I get it. It's motivation. Your head coach, who is 50 years old, has decided that this 25-year-old knucklehead team needs a little extra motivation because somebody doubted them. But keep it there, man. When you win, you don't have to throw the middle finger at everybody because guess what? Everybody gets doubted. Everybody gets not picked. Everybody gets the idea that, hey, that team probably can't do it. So listen, tuck that one away. I know you're hiding on somebody's roster right now. Whoever you are, just be happy that you won and move on. That night when you're drinking beers with your buddy and celebrating, you can talk talk a bunch about how we all didn't pick you. That's it. That's all I got. I'm done. Simon, take excellent. it away, man. That was great. Jared Goff, you can flick us off. We Nobody believed in you. That one's true. <laughs> you, can, you can do that. Um, you can bring a fat head of Sean McVay and, like, stomp him in half or bite his yes. kneecap off or something. That, you, that, if you bring – okay, look. If you bring a fat head, you can do it. I'm okay with it then. All right. <laughs> you need props. You need props. Um, 
All right, everybody, it's time for us to get out of here. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the Stat Sheet Podcast. We will be back next week to talk to you about the conference championship game. So be on the lookout for that. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you're following on Twitter at Stat Sheet Pod. Follow Box Score Network at B Score Network. Thank you all so much. We will talk to you soon. Have a good week.